All right. Are you ready? Uh, we're going to have some fun to start off with, and uh, we're in a series right now called The Voice of Advent. Uh, that's the season we're in, by the way, if you're unfamiliar. Advent just means coming, arrival. We're waiting for the birth of Jesus, the, or at least that event that we remember. And so during the Advent season, we kind of just walk towards that uh, manger scene, and we talk about some things. And what we've been doing is we're, we're looking at just one passage of Scripture all month. We'll get to that in a moment. And, uh, but today, I want to start off with some interactive stuff. We're going to talk, if that's okay. But here's how we're going to do it. Uh, first service, it went okay. It went okay, so I, I've made some modifications. On your chairs, uh, there's a little card. You see that card? You're sitting on it. You put your gum in it already or whatever. Um, you're going to need that card. It, what I'm going to have you do is, and just to, for just like a minute, is I want you to write down on that card a phrase or two or three, if you're really good, uh, a phrase that when you hear that phrase... Like when someone says that to you, what you know is that the news that's coming is not good. Okay? Let me help you out. Phrase like this. Uh, we should talk. Are you with me on this? Okay, so we need to talk or we should talk. So you can't choose that one because that's already been done. All right? So you, I want you to think. Now, first service, Jeff started playing the music and it was awesome and they just were looking at me. So we said midway through the game, you can team up as a row if you want. That's fine. But um, if that helps you, so if, if you're sitting next to someone who's just rolling their paper like a cigarette, then help them out, all right? Um, so write down a phrase that when you hear that phrase, you know that what's coming is not, is not good news, all right? So we'll give you a minute, and then we'll hear back from you. Go. Extra points if you can name the song that uh, Jeff's playing. All right, 30 seconds. it up for Jeff. Thank you very much. Anybody know the song? Anybody? Pray on Christmas, Harry Connick Jr. Woo! Thank you very much. Haley, nobody cares. All right. So, I mean, I care. So, uh, let's hear back. This section, what do you guys have? Anything? Can you stop by my office? Anybody heard that before? A few of you? Okay. Are you sitting down? Which is usually followed by when you come into the office. Please shut the door. So, all right, anybody else? Middle section? I love you, but. That's scary. That's really scary. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. And you said, I don't know how to say this, but. Yeah, that never ends up being good. Anything else? Don't be afraid. That doesn't work. That never works. Um, okay, just hear me out. Just hear me out. That's good. The last time I felt 
<laughs> As a parent, we say that so many times. It's just, a, at, the, at this point, it's a lie. Like, so, what else? I need to tell you something. It's good. I have good. See, that never works out, does it? Like, the good news is, you don't hear that. You're like, what? What's the bad news? What? Anything else? I've been thinking. <laughs> uh, all these could go together. This could all be one situation, right? I need you to see me in my office. Are you sitting down? Uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but the good news is... <laughs> other things like... Um, well, give me one more. Anybody got one more? Here's the deal. All right, let's vote. Who had the best one? Who had the best one? Call it out. I love you, but. I love you, but. All right, is that Greg? All right, so Greg. Greg wins a pound of Christmas from Starbucks. Here you go, my man. Give it up for Greg. Okay, I'm just going to throw it like a, like a lateral. There we go. All right. Uh, so here's the thing. Like when we hear certain phrases... There's something inside of us, like depending on the phrase, like we know that what we're about to hear after that phrase isn't very good. It's not good news. There's even the phrase like no news is what? Good news. Like news in general is not something that we like to hear. Like just, like if you're sitting at home and you're eating dinner and you're watching TV and then it says breaking news, like that is never about the kid who rescued the neighbor's cat from the tree. It's never about that. It's always about something really bad, isn't it? Or, you know, maybe there's other ones like, hey, the grades are posted, or the results are in, or, you know, all those, I mean, you could, we, we could do this all day, I mean, we get it, like, there's just certain things that we hear, and we're like, I don't want to hear what's coming next, right? Wednesday night, my wife and I went on a date, and um, we went downtown, and we had dinner, and we were driving home from downtown, and we got to, uh, like, West Wesley on Peachtree, just south of here, and all these police cars were blocking the road, and they started rerouting us through the neighborhoods and whatever, and it, we were back in the neighborhoods so much that we came out just at the Barnes & Noble right down here. So there's this big stretch of road where nobody could get to. But on both sides, it was just covered with police lights and fire engines and whatever. So we stop at the, Star, we stop at the Barnes & Noble because they have a Starbucks, and uh, they have books and stuff. So we wanted to look around at books. And, um, but the whole time I'm looking out the window at all these police cars just flashing their lights. And the security guy is standing there at the door, and I asked him, I was like, do you know what's going on down there? And this is what he said to me, no. Like, he wouldn't even look behind him. I was like, do you not see this? No. And, um, <laughs> so whatever. Um, so anyway, we went home that night, went to bed. The next morning, Thursday, my wife comes into the bedroom, uh, before she leaves for work, and she gives me her phone, or my phone, I forget, and she says, uh, hey, I figured out what happened, I, I found out what happened last night with all the police cars, and I was like, oh, and her next thing was, it's about your bike, I was like, what, and I, I, I grabbed the phone, and, I, and it says, the Peachtree Bikes place burned up, now, you know, normally, who cares, but I care because I had just dropped my bike off to get fixed, right? Um, I have several bikes, and this was like my racing bike. And uh, I know, I know what you're thinking, like, really? <laughs> there was a day, there was a day. Um, and I took it in to start over. But 
literally, so I hit the video, there's like all these videos. Well, the first couple of videos are just cell phone videos from the somewhat inebriated people from Fellini's next door. And they're all just on the sidewalk and they're like, whoa, and all the flames are coming out. And then I hit the news one and the news guy's standing in front of the store saying it's a total loss. Everything in the store is a total loss. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Now I don't have a bike anymore. And, uh, but maybe there'll be some sort of insurance. I don't know. But that's not my, not my concern, really. Uh, but again, I mean, here comes the news. Like, hey, I found out what was going on with the police cars, and it's about your, it's about your bike. Uh, wasn't good news. Wasn't good news. Now, let me transition into our text today. The Voice of Advent, the series that we're in, is about, and it's based on this news that the shepherds received who were working in the fields the night that Jesus was born. And it's just a little two-sentence announcement that came to them from the angel of the Lord. You may or may not be familiar with it, but it looks like this. You'll see it on the screen. It says, uh, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now we'll just leave this up here for a moment because I want to do some recap for you and tell you where we're at today. Last week, Kyle, uh, our youth pastor, got up and talked about the first mini-announcement within the big announcement, which is, don't be afraid, fear not, is, the, is how it begins. And of course, uh, that's the logical thing for the shepherds to hear first, because in the verse before this, it says they were gripped with fear. They were filled with fear because an angel shows up. And I'm thinking that that's probably a normal response, correct? So if you're just out working in the fields at night, and all of a sudden... There's this thing, and it's making noise and brightening up the sky. You're a little freaked out, right? Now, what's interesting is that all throughout the Scriptures, from front to back, from the beginning to end, the most repeated command in the Bible is this command right here, don't be afraid. Now, you may think it's other things, but it's actually don't be afraid or fear not or do not fear. That's the most often repeated command out of the lips of God himself or Uh, through a messenger of God, an angel or some sort, like that is the most repeated command from beginning to end is do not be afraid. And there's good reason for that because we just kind of carry that theology around that if God shows up, we're in trouble. If God talks to us, right, if he shows up, like he's mad, he's had enough, he's, that's it, he's come into the bedroom and we're in trouble. And so we kind of carry that around with us. And so the shepherds, they're, they're approached by the angel of the Lord and they freak out. Now these are, again, these are Palestinian first century Middle Eastern shepherds. They're not Irish tweed hat, capri pants for men, fluffy white sheep on a grassy knoll. These are Palestinian first century Middle Eastern shepherds. They're some of the lowest people on the social, political, economic, and religious ladder. And the fact that God came to them They're the first people to hear the news of Jesus' birth, therefore being the first people to carry the news to others. The fact that God chose these people with all the available elite power structures around, I mean, Herod's castle, the Herodian, was just minutes from Bethlehem. In fact, it's often been said that Bethlehem just sat in the shadow of the Herodian. Like, it's right there. I mean, it's like of all the people. It's the person who lives on the street next to the CNN center. And God chooses the person who lives on the street to get the news out. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. And for the shepherds, it, they don't feel worthy either. 
right? Because they're shepherds, right? You can almost hear them stash the beer bottle under the rock as the angel shows up. Like, it's just, it's an awkward situation. Like, oh man, you know? I think the Greek is actually more profane. But, uh, but you get what I'm saying. And so the very first thing out of the angel's mouth is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And what comes next is so important, the angel says, for I bring you what? Good news of great joy. Let's just put that phrase in front of us for a minute. Good news of great joy. Say it together. Good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Now the phrase good news is a very interesting phrase. The root word in this phrase is evangelism. Right? Evangelism. The actual phrase here in the Greek is evangelizomai. And it's, this, it's not a church word. It's not a Christian word. It's a first century Greek word that was used primarily by the Roman Empire. And it's, it essentially is a, a phrase that meant, we have some news to share with you. And it's sort of couched in this, it's good news. But it was a phrase used that was often associated with the coming of a new king, or the coming of a new rule, or the coming of a new Caesar, the installment of a new leader or a new governor. Also of new policies and new procedures that are coming to your town and villages. And, oh, isn't this great news? Right? And so they would mint coins with the news on there and they would send it out into your town and your city and your village. Or they would install celebrations or festivals or feasts where you live to sort of commemorate the news. Right? If it's a new Caesar, well, there's a new festival to celebrate the new Caesar or the new governor or the new leader. Right? And so they would, this, this phrase, this good news, evangelizomai, is about political sort of social, economic sort of announcements that are coming our way. And what's interesting is that if you look in the liner notes of these announcements from the empire, it's never really good news, right? Rome didn't get to where it was from being peaceful or meek, right? Or like gentle. It took things by force, It was also an empire of injustice economically. 99% of the resources supported 3% of the people. The rest struggled day to day to day to day. And so when these announcements would come about, again, a new leader or a new policy or a new way, it was never really good news. The liner notes would prove that it wasn't good news. In fact, the liner notes, if you read them very closely, would say something like, it really means more taxes, more oppression, more subjugation, uh, more work, more for the rich, less for the poor, It was never good news. The good news was actually not good news. It was actually terrible news. Scary news, fearful news. And so the angel of the Lord says to the shepherds, I bring you good news, and they roll their eyes, because they're like, we've heard this this phrase before. But then the angel says, of what? Great joy. See, this is different. Of great joy. It's good news of great joy. And that's what we want to talk about today is that when we are in this Advent season, there's a dark side to this and there's a bright side to this. And we'll talk a little bit about the dark side because it's important that we do so. And in fact, if we can understand the dark side of the Advent season, the good news of great joy makes much more sense. But so we'll have to do that in just a moment, but we'll stay there for just a few minutes because what's really important today is recognizing that the message that the shepherds heard is the same one that we should hear. And it's that this coming of Jesus, I mean, just the phrase, Jesus is coming, we don't like that. I mean, like, that's sitting on a sandwich board on a crazy guy on the corner yelling. 
Jesus is coming. That doesn't even sound like good news. And yet, what the angel is saying is, it's great news. It's a great joy. It's good news of great joy. The, new, the good news is actually honest in this respect. The liner notes are blank. It's, this is actually good news for you. And it's of great, great joy. Now, I've been a pastor for about 20 years. And uh, I finally started wearing a tie this weekend. <laughs> but um, what, I, what I have seen, just in the United States, because I haven't been a pastor anywhere else but in the United States, and predominantly in the Southeast. What I know of the church, in my experience, the local church that is, and then the church at large, is that we're not really known or recognized as an institution that is like the bearer of good news. Now, we, we should be, and there are many, many churches that are, and I hope that we're one of those. But by and large, the perception is the church is not giving good news. The church is giving terrible news. It's that you and I are all messed up and God is angry. Right? And it doesn't matter if it's a large voice or a small voice. I mean, the Westboro Baptist Church has, what, 30 people in it? And it's on the news all the time. It's making a lot of noise. And the media loves that. It's like, here's another example of the church bearing terrible news in a terrible way saying to the world around it that you're all messed up, we've got it together, and if you want to get in, then you have to make all these changes, and then you can be accepted and loved by God. The church hasn't always been the bearer of good news, just bad news. Maybe you grew up in a church like that. Maybe you grew up in a church where it just always felt like bad news, right? Maybe you've been burned by a church like that. Maybe you're struggling in sort of on the mend because that's, that's been your church experience, you know? Like they say to you, like, hey, listen, we know you had a tough go at it and the marriage didn't work out and it's understandable that you got a divorce, but you're no longer welcome here. Or we get it. I mean, you grew up in the church. You were here every Sunday. You got all the badges. You knew all the memory verses. You never missed a Sunday and you were just one of the best kids we ever had. And then you went to school and you got your degree in philosophy and now you're back in our church and you're in small group and you are struggling with issues of faith and science and reason and you're voicing those in small group. And you know what? We get it. We understand that it's hard for you, but you need to move on because that's causing division. Right? Or we recognize that you got scared, you were young and you had an abortion. And we know that's a terrible experience for you, but there's no place for you here. Maybe you grew up in a church like that, where like Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you sat like clinched, waiting for the hit, the bad news. And the worst thing the church does is it, it puts good news on the hook. You know what I'm saying? Like it just, it dangles the good news, but it hurts when they get to the thing they really want to say. And that's that you and I are terrible people. And that God is mad. And he is angry. My friend and I were talking about the Christmas story uh, this week. And he's a pastor as well. And we just sort of recognize that in the whole coming of Jesus story, there's really no mention of how terrible we are. Right? There's just no verse or statement from God in the whole, I'm coming to earth because I'm tired of you. I'm coming to earth because I've had it up to here. Like the stench of your humanity has reached the heavens. And so I'm coming down to clean that up. It's never in there. It's this good news of great joy. 
And there's something that we've done to mistreat that. We've lost the art, so to speak, of being bearers of good news. And somehow we've become this organization that is known for its bad news. Now, to the church's credit, there are things in our world that we have every right to look at that are destructive and wrong and to point at those things and say that needs to stop, right? I mean, there's more slaves living on the planet today than ever before in history. And the church has every right to point at that and say that's wrong. And we need to leverage everything that we have, our resources, our energies, our prayers, our protests to fix that and eradicate that. We have every right to do that. Or to point at poverty and say this is not right. And to do everything that we can with our resources and our energies to fix that. And to be a help in that situation. We have every right to do that. But where we lose the art of sharing the good news is when we start saying to people in some way that because of who you are, God is so angry with you. That's not good news at all. Now, let's talk about the dark side of Advent just for a moment. Just for a moment. The muse in the whole, like, Jesus coming here of God putting skin on and moving in to our neighborhood that we call the world, it is because redemption is needed and restoration is necessary and salvation is a must. And again, salvation, that word, soteria, just simply means to be made whole again. To be pulled from what is destructive and to be put back together. And so this salvation that God brings through His Son Jesus is necessary, not just for me as an individual, but honestly for the whole world, both for people and for creation itself. The writer Paul of the New Testament says in Romans that creation itself is messed up. Creation itself is groaning to be repaired. And that somehow through Jesus, through His death and His resurrection, and through the work of God in Him and through His church, that renewal is happening. That when Jesus prayed the words that Uh, when he taught us to pray the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, tells us that redemption and restoration is happening in our midst. And that someday, we don't know when, but at someday heaven and earth will come together again. And that everything will be renewed. Like this is the promise of Scripture. And the reason that it's going that way is because it needs to go that way. You don't even have to be a Christian to look around and go, yep, world's messed up. It's messed up. And the thing for us to realize and to admit is that we all play a part in that. Like the, the world that we live in, how, however we point our fingers at this or that and the other thing that we feel is messed up, we play in some way a part in that. Whether you're a Christian or not, we all play a role, large or small, in the condition of our world. All of us. We all have our hands in things that aren't clean. We all, we all, and we all know that. We all know that we're not perfect, and we all know that we are contributing to continual uh, deterioration of certain things, whether it's our families or our jobs or our honesty or our neighborhoods, etc. We understand this. And so this whole, like, Jesus is coming, you know, the first advent that Jesus is coming, what's behind that is the need for him to come, the need for God to show the world that he will deal with it in this way. And it was a long time coming. It wasn't like, you know, Christmas just was this last second idea. It's that for, you know, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, or longer, God has been quite patient 
with His coming. And then at some point just decides to move in and to make a statement to the world that we're going to renew things here and here's how it's going to happen. And part of, part of the work of Christ is to take on the sin of the world. Like part of what happened on the cross is that Jesus took the weight of the world's sin on His back. And He died for that. And there's a lot we could talk about there. That's more Easter than Christmas. But the thing that we have to realize going into this season is that that God sent His Son because we need redemption. We need salvation. But sometimes when we think about salvation, when we think about redemption, when we think about getting right with God, we think that that's something we have to do. It's something that we do. Like salvation is sort of the self thing that we do. Like we, we get better. We behave better. We do things better. We do less of this and more of that. Right? We've always been that way. Even after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, we still struggle with that. But the statement that the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus made was that you don't have to do that. That the sin problem is being handled by God, not by us. That salvation comes from Him, not, not us. Uh, Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5. Notice this on the screen. He says, For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be what? Sin. In other words, He made Jesus sin. Like He said, you're going to become sin. And then He qualifies this, that He didn't even know sin. Like, Jesus wasn't even a sinning person. And so He says uh, that for our sake... God made him who to be sin who knew no sin so that we so that in him we might become the righteousness of God that we might be made whole that we might become the people that he envisioned us to be this is an incredible heavy statement that Paul makes but I want you to look at it for a moment because what he's essentially saying and some versions say it differently like he who uh, knew no sin became sin on our behalf and it's such a powerful word picture that salvation, like this, you know, this escape from the effects and the impact of sin was handled by Jesus, not by us. Because if left to us, we can't do this. We can't do this. And so here's Paul saying, it was Jesus. He took the sin and the weight of the world's sin on his back. He did that. He took that away. And therefore, your guilt, your attempts to make it better, your attempts to prove to God that you can be better, they're of no use here. It's already been done. It's already been handled. And when you think about it this way, like if Christ came to become sin for the world, and that's heavy, 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 but just, let's just move forward. If Christ came to become sin, sin, then it's clear that God never really expected us to deal with the sin problem. And that is good news. Amen? That is very, very good news. I don't know if you've ever received good news when you knew that all you deserved was bad news. If you've ever received good news when what you really knew that you actually deserved was bad news. You're getting a taste of the gospel. 
You're getting a taste of the work of Jesus. If you've ever been blown away with grace and mercy when you knew you should have been punished, you're getting a taste of the Gospel. And I think we lose that sometimes. I think we lose... I know that I do, and maybe you do as well, but we lose this sense of like excitement and joy over that truth that God is handling the sin problem and not expecting us to do that. Like we come to Him for restoration and renewal, not for ourselves, not to ourselves. And I lose that sometimes because I, if you're like me, I try and do all that myself. And then I think about the words of David when he prayed this in, in the Psalms. David prayed these words uh, in Psalm 51, verse 12. Maybe you've seen this before, but David says, Restore to me the joy of what? Your salvation. That word your is so important. Because what we do is salvation becomes something that we work hard at. Like, I'll get better. I'll stop doing this. I'll do more of this and less of that. I'll stop thinking about those things. I'll stop going to those places. I'll stop being around these people. And all of those things may be good. But the moment we start interpreting our actions and behaviors as an attempt or somehow a path to making God love us better, salvation has become something that we do. And that's really, really deficient. And David got caught up in this all the time. And here's David praying to God, look, restore to me the joy, and this is so key, the joy of your salvation. Because there's really no joy in my salvation. There's no joy in the salvation that you give yourselves. It's short. It's way short. And there's no joy in that. See, joy is knowing what Christ has done. And we lose that, I think. We drift away from that so much that our faith and our salvation depends on us. Like that we start working to perform for God in hopes that we might impress Him with the things that we can do enough that He would love us again and more than the last time or more than before. And that's a faith that's based deeply in fear, which is how this whole announcement began. Don't don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But sometimes our faith gets rooted in fear, and it's based on this relationships of a relationship of debits and credits with God, of wins and losses. And salvation then depends on us, which at that point we've stolen God's job, and He doesn't like that. That's truth. If God's mad about anything, it's that we're trying to do His job. And the thing about playing God is that we're really not that good at it. Right? We're just not that good at it. And there's really no joy in it. There's no joy in playing God. We're not that good at being distributors of grace and mercy and salvation. We're just not that good at it. And so sometimes we have to pray with David like, okay, God, restore to me the joy that comes from your salvation, not mine. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Are you with me on that? And so again, the bad news, the dark side, (laughs) the dark side of Advent is that we need it. We need the redemption. We need salvation. But the good news is, of great joy, is that it comes from God, not from us. Frederick Buechner uh, wrote this. 
says the gospel is bad news before it is good news. It is the news that man is a sinner. To use the old word, he says, that he is evil in the imagination of his own heart. That when he looks in the mirror, all in a lather, what he sees as at least eight parts chicken, phony, and slob. And then he says that is the tragedy, which is what we just talked about. But then he goes on to say this, but it is also the news that he is loved anyway, cherished, forgiven, bleeding to be sure, but also bled for. That is the comedy. That the whole story of Christ's coming is based on our need, but the good news of great joy within the story of His coming is that we're not expected to carry the weight of salvation. That's something God does. Amen? And the thing about it is, and I'll repeat this, if Christ came to become sin for us, then God really doesn't expect us to solve the sin problem. And that his people, the church, ought to be great at bearing the good news of great joy. So I want to speak into you just for a moment as the congregation. Be people of good news. Be people who share the good news of great joy. And take it off the hook. It doesn't need to hurt like we think it needs to hurt. I mean, everybody knows, everybody knows their imperfection. Everybody knows that the world is messed up. And the good news that people need to hear is news that is filled with great joy, and that is that redemption and restoration and renewal and salvation is coming from God and God alone. And that the, our job as the congregation in this community, in this city, in your neighborhood, is to be bearers of that news and to be patient and to be praying be a praying people and a hopeful people and to share the news that God is coming and renewing all things. Amen? Let me pray for you and then we'll take a few moments to share in the communion together. If you're new with us, uh, the way this works is we have two tables in the front and two in the back and on those tables are some pieces of bread and some juice And this is a practice that the church has done from its inception, not our church, but the church, all the way back to the upper room with Jesus. And as it gathers week after week after week, we share in this communion together to remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But we also stand there in hopes of his return. And so the communion itself is really positioned between two advents, the first coming of Christ and the second. And until he comes again, we meet together and we eat this bread and we drink this juice to remind us of both history and the future of the world. And most importantly, that God is renewing all things, as Revelation says, making all things new. And we eat this bread and drink this juice in hopes of that, hopes that we get to see that in our time. And so I'll pray for you, and then as you feel ready and led, you can move to one of the four tables around the room and take the communion, then come back to your seat, and uh, we'll close with a song together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for this season um, in which we get to uh, just sort of slow down and back up and, and, and remember this story that we know so well. And God, this announcement, this news, this good news that the shepherds received in the fields that night, 
is news that we, we must hear ourselves. And it's full of great joy. And it has to do with salvation, but that comes from you, not us. And so God, I pray as we move through the room in just a moment, as we take the bread and drink the juice, that you'll just remind us, that you'll just impact our hearts and our minds, that it's you who does the saving. And it's you who does the restoring. And that whenever we feel like that we need to try harder to make you love us more, God, just convict us of that. And knock us down from those attempts. And God, let the bread and the juice remind us that you have solved the problem of sin. And that you're making all things new. And that we stand as a people who believe that. And we look forward to the future. As the creeds said, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. And the life of the world to come. And so I pray all these things. And your son's matchless and powerful name. Amen.